I'm on. You're on. Okay. I, 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 oh my gosh, guys, I'm so sorry. This, uh, I don't know what happened, but if you can see me now, if you can hear me now, let me know in the chat. Wow. Hi, Dr. Oh, Winter. So hi. Sorry. I, 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 yeah. I don't, I thank God we're back. Thank you, Charles. Yeah. We're using an external system now that happens not very often in 2000 shows. So I apologize. I might lose. Chat. So I was asking you a question about Yanni eggs, and that's when you, I believe, I froze or you froze. Did you hear the question from Deborah about what do you Oh, no, I didn't. A Yanni egg to strengthen the pelvic floor muscles. I don't know what a Yanni egg is. Is that like a, um, here, I'm, I'm looking this up. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I... I'd be interesting in knowing why they're, they specifically want to, to strengthen their pelvic floor. So what this person's talking about is kind of a weighted egg-shaped object that you're putting in your vagina. And I think the idea would be the kind of that you're squeezing your pelvic floor to prevent it from, from dropping out. Um, now, if you're interested specifically, let's say in strengthening your pelvic floor because you're experiencing urinary incontinence, my first and enthusiastic recommendation would be that you go see a pelvic floor physical therapist, even just once they will give you all the tools, all the recommendations on how to do pelvic floor exercises the best way, right? Because there are people understandably so who don't do pelvic floor exercises or Kegel exercises or use an egg the right way. And if you do it the wrong way, you could end up with things like overactive bladder, pain with sex, what we call a hypertonic pelvic floor, right? So even just that one consultation could be amazing. Um, I say like, you know, if you don't, I don't know, know how to lift weights and you have someone teach you how to do it the right way, that's like a really important tool, right? And why would we treat the muscles in our pelvic floor that differently? So, um, you know, I don't, I don't personally have a, a really robust thought on, on those eggs themselves, but just really hone in on why do you want the eggs? What are you trying to achieve? And if you have a specific concern, like urinary incontinence, um, you know, really, really consider talking to a public floor physical therapist and make an appointment with one, even if it's just one time, they're such a tremendous resource. They're fabulous. I've had several on the show. Their names are Mandy and Julie, and we've done quite a few episodes and they can do all kinds of things, even help with constipation. So yeah, yes. they're, they're great. I, I think they're amazing what they do. So here's a question. Actually, there's one more that was submitted that I really should get to first. Um, people are asking where, where you practice and it is Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let me get to the one that M Mona sent in because it's time to do that. Uh, she says, besides drinking plenty of water and having cranberries, I'm 68 and I'm not sexually active. So how do I prevent one to two times a year bout with UTIs? Estrogen. Yeah, I, you know already. Estrogen. This is a thing, right? Your vagina is important, even if you're not sexually active. Okay, everyone. It it contains right when you have the estrogen that helps the healthy bacteria called lactobacillus live in your vagina, and those are your defense. They are the warriors. They fight off the bad bacteria like E. coli from getting inside your urethra. Okay, your vagina is important no matter how much sex you have or don't have. And it is your body's defense against UTIs. Give it the estrogen. Thank you. Okay. Yes. So 
this is great. And this is an interesting question from Dana. She says, can you explain what actually happens clinically in the vagina and clitoral tissues when somebody is on a non-health promoting diet, like the standard American diet? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it depends person to person. I think it ties into a few different factors, right? So if you, let's say, are on a standard American diet and you have um, too much saturated fats, right? Not enough fiber, um, uh, you know, not enough antioxidants, um, you know, then you're going to, you're just at a much higher risk for cardiovascular disease, right? And that leads to unhealthy blood vessels. It leads to decreased responsiveness um, to sexual stimulation, decreased lubrication, decreased health of the tissue. Again, you know, there's all, there's a spectrum of this effect, right? Like, yes, if you go out and have one unhealthy meal, is there going to be a change in your vulva and your clitoris? Absolutely not. Um, but if you have a lifetime of unhealthy eating with pro-inflammatory factors and you develop cardiovascular disease, then that can have a direct impact on your genitals, right? So, so it's really just about like, okay, people make mistakes with their diet. I do it all the time personally, <laughs> but what's the long game here, right? And the long game of healthy eating and plant-based diets are definitely very good for your, for your sex life and your genitals. Um, and also minimizing alcohol if you can. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Okay. Rich is asking, why do they tell men not to use gels that have testosterone in them that are put on the skin as opposed to taking a shot because supposedly they will have bad effects? So um, I think what this person is asking about is something called transference. So if you have low testosterone, there are a bunch of different ways to take it. The most common ways to take it are through a gel that you put on your skin or with an injection. Um, one of the things that people don't like about the gels is a property called transference, which means if I, um, put a testosterone gel on in the morning and I touch a family member, um, it can get on them and it can change their testosterone levels. Right. So there have been reported cases, let's say you have some guy, he's 45, he has low testosterone. And he starts taking this and he has a five-year-old kid and the kid ends up getting signs of early puberty, right? Suddenly gets like penile enlargement, a facial hair, like stuff that's you don't want to happen to a little kid, right? So it is a real concern. And if you have women and younger children in the household, you have to be really aware of that and make sure that you're putting it on a part of your body that is not going to come in contact with other people. And after you apply it, that you wash your hands really well. Um, but no, I mean, they're, they're great medications. You just have to know about that and be careful about it. Um, it. It's neither here nor there. You can inject testosterone, you can use a gel. However you get to the testosterone level that's healthy, that it, it, it gets rid of your symptoms, that's the important thing. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh Marley says, is oral HRT a contraindication for women with cardiac genetic variants that could increase the risk of clots, such as LP, little a? And maybe you could say, why are some women taking oral versus topical? Yeah, yeah. So some, yeah, I, I mean, 
you know, some women are using oral uh, estrogens. Um, I mean, overall, for, for many people, they are safe. They're easy to use. Um, another reason you could be on it, for example, is that there's shortages right now of a lot of estrogen patches, right? And maybe you don't want your horrible symptoms to, to come back while waiting to get your patch. Um, so, so there are a variety of reasons why somebody might consider using an oral estrogen. Um, again, from large randomized trials, we know that the transdermal preparations, meaning the patches and the gels of estrogen have never been associated with an increased risk of blood clots, but the oral ones are. So I, I'm not super familiar with this person's specific family risk factor, but when I have anybody cross my door who has a higher risk of blood clots, um, I would strongly recommend and advocate for use of that patch or that gel as a first line, because it's just not going to increase that risk. And I mean, I feel so strongly about that, that if you have somebody who's, you know, taking aspirin or a blood thinner for a blood clot, I, I feel comfortable giving them an estrogen patch or a gel. Um, that's how strongly I feel about its safety. So, yeah. Thanks. Jennifer, who's watching live, says, is it beneficial to use both vaginal cream that you're speaking of and hormone cream on the arm made in a compounding pharmacy and oral progesterone, especially if someone has osteoporosis? What's the pros and cons? This is a great question. So there are many women who are using what's called HRT or menopause hormone therapy to raise their blood levels of estrogen and progesterone who still have vaginal and vulvar symptoms, okay? We know for a fact that um, what's considered this HRT does not have the same efficacy in reducing urinary tract infections as vaginal estrogen does. It, it just doesn't, okay? So oftentimes women are told, oh, you're taking HRT, you're taking an estrogen patch, you're taking an estrogen gel, you're taking an estrogen tablet by mouth. You don't need vaginal estrogen. Why would you need two types? But that's wrong because the data shows it's just not as effective in preventing UTIs. And the vaginal preparation, because it doesn't raise blood estrogen levels, is safe to take at the same time as another type of estrogen. It's completely okay completely safe and there are added benefits. I know for a fact when I enter peri and post-menopause, I plan to use an HRT um, patch or gel and I also plan to use a vaginal estrogen and I will probably use both of those forever until I die and be buried with it. And <laughs> in full transparency, <laughs> transparency, that's how strongly I feel about the safety and the importance of both of those. Um, you know, in terms of your comment about progesterone, there's different reasons to use progesterone. Again, if you're using HRT and you have a uterus, you must be on a progesterone of some kind or a progestin of some kind to prevent endometrial cancer. If you have had a hysterectomy and you do not have a uterus, you do not have to be on it, but many people still take it because it can help with symptoms like anxiety and quality of sleep. Um, so there is a very reasonable um, regimen where you're using a progesterone, where you're using an estrogen patch or gel and a vaginal estrogen. So you can use all of those together. It's a wonderful combination. 
Thanks. Patty's saying, so I'm still menstruating and on birth control pills. Am I possibly not experiencing the menopausal loss of my period because I'm taking the pill? I'm experiencing other menopausal symptoms. Perimenopause can cause, well, I, I'd be interested in knowing how old this person is. Um, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, some people have such a severe ramification of of being on ultra low dose contraceptives that they have menopause like symptoms that is caused by the pill. Right. And not that they're in perimenopause. Um, there are other women who are in perimenopause and are put on the pill, but it's not the best option for them. So, you know, if this person, let's say is in their forties, they're experiencing symptoms that they think are perimenopause and the oral contraceptive pill is not adequately treating those symptoms. I would really suggest that they talk to their doctor about, stopping the pill and being put on some type of HRT, right? Estrogen plus or minus progesterone as a treatment for those symptoms, because a lot of times that's going to give them a better profile of, of response. Now you can still get pregnant when you are perimenopausal, right? This is important to note. So if you still need birth control, there are options, right? You can use an IUD and you can take your estrogen and be perimenopausal. You can take your estrogen and use condoms. And, you know, there's, there's all different options, but you don't have to think that symptoms of menopause or perimenopause while you're on the pill or something, you just have to have to suffer with. Thank you. I think Angie must have tuned in late because she's asking with estrogen, is there a concern about it being carcinogenic and how much is too much? Yeah, great question. So um, the vaginal estrogen, no, it's not considered car carcinogenic. Um, again, you know, we consider it low dose when it, you follow the manufacturer guidelines. So you're talking about one gram twice a week of the 0. 0.01% estradiol, for example, but you can definitely increase that slightly with your doctor's um, guidance. Uh, when you're talking about systemic HRT, so pills, gels, patches, estrogen in the Women's Health Initiative study, which is the biggest study that's ever been done on this topic, randomized, cost a billion dollars, <laughs> media frenzy, <laughs> Estrogen itself was not associated with breast cancer. It was not. It was not associated with any type of cancer at all. The only type of cancer it would be associated with is endometrial cancer if you are not using a type of progesterone, okay? Now, all of the increased cancer risk that has been reported has been associated with the use of a synthetic type of progesterone called medroxyprogesterone, but you can use oral micronized progesterone, which is considered bioidentical progesterone, and that has not been associated with an increased risk of breast cancer. So to answer this in a very long way, estrogen is not associated with getting cancers. Now you might say to me, but doc, I have estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. Doesn't that mean that estrogen causes breast cancer, right? This is a great question. This is the important thing to understand about cancer biology. What it means when you have an estrogen receptor positive breast cancer 
doesn't mean that estrogen caused your breast cancer. It means that you have a cancer cell that expresses a receptor for estrogen, which is the type, which is a normal thing for a can of a breast cell to do. Okay. When you lose that estrogen receptor, it means that your breast cancer has mutated so much. It no longer expresses that estrogen receptor. So when the cancer has the estrogen receptor, we leverage that, right? And we reduce your estrogen levels to try to get rid of that cancer. But it doesn't mean that estrogen caused that cancer. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a difference between treatment for a cancer you have and cause, okay? Um, you know, yes, yes. I could, I could go on about this forever, but estrogen receptor positive does not mean estrogen caused your breast cancer. We just... Yes, we need Thank to liberate you. ourselves from this fear. Thank you. Randy mm -hmm. says, why is it that women always are portrayed having little or no sexual desire as opposed to men as we age? Uh, um, well, this is a great question. I mean, I think huh, a lot of that is untreated menopause um, and we don't give people the resources, right? So, you know, you could have desire for sex, but if you have severe genital urinary syndrome or menopause and you have no lubrication, you can't get lubricated no matter how turned on you are, your vagina is tight, sex is painful, um, that makes you not wanna have sex, right? So even if you're like in the, in the corners of your brain, you are the horniest person on the planet, if your body doesn't allow you to have pain-free sex, if your body does not allow you to become engorged, wet, um, sensitive in response to that feeling in your brain, because your hormones are low, then, then that's going to take it away from you. Right. And I think over time, so, 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 so many women, so many couples suffer because we don't use the hormonal tools to allow people to have pain-free sex, to allow people to connect their brain with their body, right? I don't, I truly do not believe it is an inherent difference based on gender. I think it's about allowing our bodies to do what our inner sexual being wants, right? I mean, women read lots of like sexy books. Women love porn. I mean, all the data shows that like, allow them to live their best sexual life. And I can tell you, when you treat a woman, when you treat their menopause, when you treat their low sexual desire disorder, which there are FDA approved medications for, there are tr many treatment options for, when you do all of that, there are people who have amazing sex lives at every single age, okay? And then I should also say, of course, sex is not just about penetration, right? There's non-penetrative sex, there's solo sex, there's vibrators for sex. There's so many different things and people have erotic lives no matter what their body are doing. And we have to give people the tools and we also have to educate people about normalizing all sorts of pleasure. Thanks so much. This yeah. is about bone health. Does HRT patch therapy help for bone health asks Marley. Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. Um, again, it is estrogen is estrogen menopause hormone therapy with a patch 
um, estrogen is approved, FDA approved for prevention of osteoporosis due to menopause. And I will tell you, I'd like to share this story. My grandmother lived till 97. She lived independently till 97. She fell when she was 95. She did not break a single bone in her body and she was taking estrogen for almost 50 years. Wow. <laughs> I know, I know. And she, she didn't have a bent spine. She didn't break a single bone. She didn't have any of this stuff. And that's so important, right? Because as you age, bone density has an incredible impact on your quality of life, on your fragility, on your ability to exercise, on your ability to travel, on your health and wellness, right? On your risk of dying, women who break their hip in later decades of life have a very high risk of dying afterwards or within the year after that hip fracture. Okay. This is so important and it is the most effective thing you can do. And unfortunately, once you stop that estrogen, your risk of osteoporosis goes back up. So a lot of women are told to take estrogen for the shortest amount of time possible for their hot flashes. But what about being it on it for the longest time possible for prevention of osteoporosis, right? I mean, that's another way we could be thinking about this discussion. Thank you. Let's see what we got here. Okay, so I was uh, delaying this question because um, it's from Fran because it's so long. So I'm going to try to, um, you know, what, I can't speak today, you know, shorten it. So basically yeah. her, her question is, that she was diagnosed with interstitial cystitis, but she didn't have it. She had basically just a UTI, but she had an arrogant doctor who just, you know, tested the urine in the office and then treated her for months with uh, uh, these bladder treatments. And it turned, and then when she got a better doctor, he said, no, you need a culture. She, so she had basically a raging UTI for like a oh. hundred days. And she was, this doctor was giving her these bladder installations every month. And, and she never had UTI. So, uh, she never had interstitial cystitis. And so the question is, is how do you get a doctor to believe you when you have a UTI, even if it, you know, it doesn't show up because is, is that little sticky thing in the, when they test in the office as accurate as actually growing the culture out for days? Because apparently if he had done that, which the next doctor she saw, which she couldn't get in to see for three months did, once she got an antibiotic, she was better. And she, she suffered with all these, you know, treatment of, of a disease she didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great question. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely reasons why somebody could have a positive urine culture and a negative urine dipstick. There are certain types of bacteria that are associated with that. Okay. Like, um, um, for example, something called enterococcus, um, I will frequently see patients with a negative urine dip test and a positive culture for, for enterococcus. Um, that's one example. The most important thing is treating a combination of the test results and symptoms, right? So there are people out there walking around with something called asymptomatic bacteria, which means they have bacteria sitting in their bladder and they don't have an infection, okay? There are other people walking around and maybe they have a negative urine analysis, but a positive culture and they have bad symptoms such as your listener. And those are people you treat. So you have to kind of aggregate all that information. If somebody came to my office, and was experiencing these debilitating symptoms that seem like an infection, uh, we definitely send a culture. That is an important thing to do. So um, yeah, I, I, I hope, wish that would answer the question um, better, but it is important when somebody has symptoms, 
um, you know, and potentially findings of inflammation in their bladder on an exam to do a culture to look for an infection. Um, yeah. Right. Well, that's an unfortunate experience that she suffered. Did, 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 yeah. did to know that having bladder installations when she didn't have this disease, did that do any harm to her? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I'd say it's probably unlikely other than the direct trauma of having something, you know, to do these installations, somebody has to have a catheter put up their urethra and, and medication instilled in their bladder. And of course, if you're experiencing an infection, the tissue is very inflamed and irritated and it can just be traumatic to go through that experience. Um, but in terms of causing a direct damage, uh, it's, it's very unlikely that that would be the case. Are there any problems with having an untreated UTI for a hundred days like that? Oh, I mean, usually the dangerous consequences of an untreated UTI would be manifest during that time, right? Like it would become a bloodstream infection called sepsis, right? Or it would become an infection that enters into the kidney. That's called pyelonephritis. Um, you know, it could be associated with development of a kidney stone, which would obviously be a problem. But if this person has gotten through that time period and has gotten effective treatment and their symptoms have since gone away, um, there should not be a negative consequence on their body now. So they should be in the clear you know, I hope they can rest, rest assured that if something worse was going to happen, it would have happened during that, that prior period of time. Thank you. Um, uh, Instagram viewer, I'm sorry, Instagram viewers, nobody uses their name like they do on the YouTube chat. So that's why I don't say it because there's usually a lot of letters and numbers. I'm 64. I had a stroke a year ago. Can I start on estrogen? Yeah. I mean, again, this is, this is a great question. Um, and definitely, you know, you need to make sure that you're using all the blood thinners for stroke prevention. And of course you should talk to your neurologist, but, um, yeah, I mean, in theory, right. A transdermal preparation of estrogen is not associated with increased risk of, of clots, right? So in theory, someone with your history, who's using a transdermal estrogen patch or estrogen gel um, can safely take that type of HRT after having a stroke. Thank you. And mm -hmm. another, in, uh, the who's it is asking, is diminished libido and orgasm after menopause related to cardiovascular issues or testosterone levels? Uh, it can be both. Um, yeah, it, it can also be due to estrogen levels. So what we find is that um, you know, if you're not, not have it, if you don't have enough estrogen in your body and your body does not respond to the physical and mental cues by becoming lubricated and aroused and excited, then that can have a negative feedback on your desire. Okay. So let's say you're using your estrogen and you still have low desire. That would be a great time to consider adding testosterone to your regimen. There is a meta-analysis a Cochrane meta-analysis, which means like this very important group, it's very important uptight group that is very rigorous with data, aggregated all the information and determined that testosterone therapy for women who are postmenopausal is helpful for low libido. So what I'm saying is there's excellent evidence for this. It is not woo-woo. It is not fringe it is very established to use 
low doses of testosterone for women in menopause for low sexual desire. So that is a very important option. And then of course, um, if you have diff difficulty with sexual arousal and responsiveness, it's always important to, um, as I mentioned, kind of off the top of this episode, just talk to your doctor in general about screening for cardiovascular disease risk factors, right? Like what is your exercise tolerance? Um, you know, do you get short of breath with activity? When was your last diabetes screening? When was your last lipid panel screening, right? All of these things are important for your best health and your best sexual health. Perfect. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. The name is Y White one nine six six. My niece uses pellets for hormone replacement. Would you explain that? So that's just the that's like the Uvafem, right? So there are intravaginal inserts like Uvafem, and then there are people that do right. And Uvafem, like the intravaginal inserts, are um, the the same as like vaginal estrogen, right? It's the low dose treatment for the vaginal symptoms. Now there are some people who use pellets um, like inserted usually in the butt um, for hormone replacement therapy to raise the blood estrogen and testosterone levels, okay? Um, it's tough, right? Because there are no pellets containing estrogen inserted that way that are FDA approved. So generally when you're using one of those, it's compounded. Um, that's neither here nor there. It's just important to know that the quality control metrics are not as robust when you obtain it that way. So sometimes there is less, um, control over the end result in terms of blood hormone levels. Right. Um, and so you have to do this with a provider who is educating you about the difference between FDA approved and the compounded options. Um, yeah. And just, and just be careful. I mean, personally, um, the main reason I would use a pellet would be just for testosterone in, in women or men. Um, there is an FDA approved testosterone pellet. There are no FDA approved estrogen pellets. The testosterone pellet um, you could potentially use, but is not the first thing you would use. You would start with a gel, for example. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely not the first line. And I do hope the person who is using the pellets has been offered other types of HRT first um, to see how they responded to that because right. the pellets, you can't get out once you put them in. There's a question and you've already addressed this. Is there a relationship between HRT and dementia risk? And you told me before we logged on that, that it actually, that it improved it, right? Not yes. This. Yes, it is actually... Um, women who are on uh, estrogen after menopause have a lower risk of getting Alzheimer's. So, well, that's that 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 itself might be worth it to go on. I know, know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. This is what I'm saying. Regardless of your vagina, I mean, for your brain and for your bones, like, yeah. So Karen right? says, <laughs> what if you stop taking HRT when you were in your fifties? Can you start it up again? at 73 to protect against osteoporosis. Yeah, so this is this is a very complex issue and one that you definitely want to talk to your doctor about. Um, there are more risks if you have stopped it and you are restarting it. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I'd say in the ideal world, you start it during perimenopause or soon after menopause and you just stay on it. 
um, there are some increased risks when you stop and restart, um, particularly from the cardiovascular disease standpoint. So I believe um, when we look at risks associated with estrogen therapy, um, there's there's a higher risk of cardiovascular events if you start it late, later, later after menopause. Um, but again, definitely something to talk your talk your doctor about. It's it's not out of the question, but it's less standard. That's interesting that that I yeah. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Okay. And this is why I, I want to talk about this stuff so much because we shouldn't be in a position where people are getting in that, you know, are having regrets about, about having stopped it. You know, like we do so much fear mongering and then people aren't taking it because we scared them without giving them enthusiastically the information about the benefits. Right. Um, Renee yeah. says, I am, I do the estradiol insert twice a week. What kind of testosterone should I start with? And do you do telehealth? I mean, I'm sure people would love to see you if, 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 if in the States that you practice in. Yeah. 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 It's a great question. Um, at this exact moment, I am not, but I am setting up a practice actually with a friend and I will, um, post about that on my social media. So please follow me um, on Instagram. I'm Ashley G Winter, A-S-H-L-E-Y-G-W-I-N-T-E-R. And I'm also at Ashley G Winter on Twitter. And definitely when I get things up and running, um, I'm kind of in a transitional phase right now, but when I get that up and running, I will announce it. Um, I am licensed in California, Washington and Oregon. So if you are anywhere on the West coast at all, uh, I definitely will be able to to have an appointment with you through telehealth. Um, you, and of course, if you if you came to California, then I could see you in person. Could you, um, but could you please remember to tell me when that information is available? Because the show notes, this will stay on YouTube. I can't promise them on the other places. Oh, sure. And then I can amend them and say, you know, you know what that information is right when you. Have yeah, it. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you Man, so much. It, it, yeah. It would be so fun to have you and Dr. Rubin and Dr. Casper yeah. get a conference on a panel. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know, yeah. but people, this is important information. And, you know, besides Yay. my little community of several hundred people that come every day, we call them the Zamunity. They're the ones that watch on YouTube. And now we have viewers also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Other people will see this video and maybe get the help that they need for the area that we love to call down there. <laughs> I love it. Well, again, thank you so much for amplifying these topics. Thank you to all your listeners and viewers for being fearless enough to raise their questions. Sexual health is health. Your genitals are just part of your body. We deserve to be healthy and happy and intimate and satisfied no matter what age we are. And I hope um, everybody is able to achieve and accomplish those goals and find somebody who is able to help you do that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Winter. Yeah. This was really interesting. I really appreciate you and the work you do. Yeah, you're so welcome. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific time for The Doctor Is In Q&A with Ron Weiss, MD. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. I actually have to end the show twice because you got to do a special thing for Instagram. So I'm still here, but I'm going to say, oh. <laughs> I know it's, I don't know how to make it. Instagram doesn't make it easy for us to stream there. It's primarily YouTube. So, so, oh, yeah. just 
you know, Dr. Winter, we're still alive, but I don't know how you feel about balsamic vinegar, but every guest gets two. I, I don't say this often enough. Thank you, Thomas. We we have a, the show, a little show has a sponsor. California balsamic makes, in my Ooh. opinion, the most delicious, sugar-free, oil-free, salt-free balsamic vinegar. Not that it would have that, but sometimes it has sugar. And you're going to get to choose two flavors in the flavor of your choice. And that's our little gift for you for being on the show. First time guests only. I love it. See? All right. We, there's one lady, I don't want to say her name. She's a well-known doctor that she says the only time she'll let me be, you know, she works for vinegar, basically. That's how much she That's loves it. so funny. I hope you enjoy I'm it. excited to try it. Okay. I love vinegar. I, I hope I get to meet you someday. You never know. I, yeah, I was actually totally. in LA last weekend, but I didn't know you yet. Thanks so much, Dr. Oh, yeah. Totally. Care. Of course. Well, I'm so glad Rachel put us together. She's a me connector. Too. Yeah. You guys so, are, good. I'm really, yeah. admired. I wish they had doctors like you when I I mean, I mean, I have them now. You're just not in my area. So yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Well, yeah. And anytime I'm happy to come back. So um, absolutely, know, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Maybe when you've know. got your little device on the market, you know? <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. That would be a fun show. I love it for okay. sure. Take, yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye.